0: Hello. This is the Atlanta Storytellers podcast. My name is John Carr. There are so many great literary shows, poetry shows, and storytelling shows here in Atlanta. So many amazing artists producing incredible work that lives and sometimes dies at these performances. This podcast is designed to capture that work and share it with the rest of the world. And so, here. Are some of those stories.
1: My name is Rita Nicole Leslie, and this is a piece that I did for the first Lady Fest ever. It's nice to know that I'm like at the beginning of all the good, wonderful things in Georgia. I'm a trendsetter. <laughs> um, this is the first time that I had decided to take it to try to creatively talk about gender and sexuality as it related to myself outside of a, you know, academic maybe context. So it was a test in me being really vulnerable. Um, and I thought that that was something, a nice space, you know, that had been created where I would feel safe to kind of talk about those things. Um, all right, this is untitled. <laughs> I find myself constantly thinking about what it means to be a woman, a lady, a person with the ability to create life. I'm often frustrated by the injustice of the world, the built in disadvantages of being born one way or the other. To be a woman is to be stronger than most. Endurance is key. We're definitely in it for the long haul. We're expected to do so much be present, be attractive, be demure, shrink, hush, be quiet, quieter than most. I'm loud. Well, Rita, my friend said with disdain, now the woman you're foot shaming also knows that her misshapen and mangled hooves aren't ready for sandal season either. You guys, my womanness is in the sway of my keychain in my back pocket, my long gait, the condition of my chucks, the space I take up as I cross my leg over my knee, my fresh lineup at the barber shop, the suppression of my breasts through minimizers and binders the unwanted holes in my button-ups, subtle reminders of my femininity, bursting at the seams, desperate for release. My breasts are beautiful. I don't hate them. I just don't welcome all the unwanted attention they bring. They're flashy and in-your-face, demanding your attention like a young Hollywood starlet, bubbly, bouncing, and pert. I prefer my sexy and delicate nuanced bites elegant in delivery, an unexpected sultry balance of masculine and feminine traits, creating the perfect balance of androgyny. I'm more comfortable in the world just outside of the ever-present and always calculating male gaze, just to the left and behind the societal expectation of traditional beauty. I'm there, waiting to be seen by the right eyes, the eyes of recognition that let me know that I am not my measurement, sway, or size of my anything. But please, objectify me in private, close the blinds tight and open your mind wide. Allow me to enter unprotected and without reservation. Let me take up residence and set up shop in your prefrontal cortex. You're just so liberal, they say. You like everything. Why would you ever choose to date a handicapped person? I've never met a girl who doesn't carry a purse. Why do you put your keys in your back pocket? The first indication to my mother that I was more than a little butch. I don't care if people get me anymore. I'm just grateful when it happens. I do however expect respectful tolerance. My friends mean well, they love me. They just don't want to see me have to quote unquote start out with someone who's already so complicated. But we're all complicated just by virtue of being alive. I can't tell you why I'm attracted to the people I'm attracted to, I just am. Attraction is an inherently undefinable thing. It moves you in unexpected ways. Complication just makes sense to me. It always has. I overstand emotional hardship. I'm curious and impressed by adversity of any type. Most of us don't know just how much it takes to be here today, to wake up and be present, to open your eyes and say, okay, what can I do today to prove that I'm still trying to be who I feel I should be? I want to be better than I was yesterday. And the hard part is that none of this is tangible. We tend to lose sight of things we can't see. The world never stops reminding me that I'm an outlier, that my interests and attractions are weird and not normal. But I'll take it, I'll be that. But I know it's not true. If one person likes something, there have to be others because science. As an only child, I prefer the company of adults. I didn't really know any kids my age or kids period, so being told to go play was almost always met with a certain amount of anxiety. But when I did make friends, most of them were boys. Boys never sweat the small stuff. They dislocate a finger, pop it back in place, and keep going. I loved racing remote control cars, building forts and sandcastles, and even getting erroneously peed on to neutralize jellyfish stings. Um, Those were the days. Boys were simple, simple boys that grew up to be simple men. Take that however you want. All that being said, I still loved my Barbies and my Cabbage Patch dolls just as much. The Cabbage Patch dolls fared a little bit better than the Barbies. They generously donated their bodies to Rita's Science Emporium of Doll Stuffings, a place where very important research was being conducted. There were questions that needed answers, the first one being... How long would it take my stepmom to notice that I replaced her cotton balls with Cabbage Patch innards?
2: My name is Teresa Davis. Um, I am the host of Java Speaks, um, one of the longest-running open mics in Atlanta, uh, nationally known. Um, We are now, we have relocated from uh, Java Monkey Coffee House in downtown Decatur to... Java Lords in Seven Stages uh, in Little Five Points. Um, And this is a poem that I performed there. I am passionate about so many things that the words I know I own have become difficult. Unruly children refusing to tittle their eyes, shrugging cold shoulders in my directions, vowels jamming into vowels, not quite choking, but unable to spit them out in order, bread, I can no longer eat. The first time I met the ocean, we fell hard for each other, held the horizon in our mouth, whisper-promised yearly affairs, never angry if we saw other bodies. When I don't keep my promises, my words turn against me, refuse to show up on time, making my love look lazy all over the floor. I can find solace sometimes in the midst of storms, the patter morse-coding memories of sweet and sad and forever. And when she was my lover, thunder and lightning, a soundtrack worth dancing to beneath sheets in parking lots, when she was here, we would share coffee-lazy mornings, the words I know I owned, would trip off my tongue, clumsy, disheveled, conscious of every syllable, punctuation heavy, not one consonant sacrificed. She still could not hear, though, the I love you's clutching, her gears shifted, then navigating new lanes, fiery and final. The funeral was heartbreaking with every breath. I talked to the moon a lot that year. Told her all my secrets so she would know my face by name. We would stare surrounded by silence, just the moon and the memories. She told me not to fear my dreams or the future. My body believed her sometimes. It has been 14 years and there is not a day I don't remember. Not a day I am not full of the gratitude of you, the stories we share, these words I know I own, make you alive in your grandson's imagination. When he asks for one, one of those stories I know I own, I am a buffet of memories, of moments, his favorite, the time you met a boyfriend in your beat-up overalls, no shirt, muscles glistening, manufactured sweat pouring, flanked by quasi and moto, Rescued German Shepherd attack dogs, how the boy shook in his skin, not frightened by the questions, just distracted by the chicken, the one you were cutting up, remember, with the machete. Your grandson laughs every time I tell the story, says, I'm going to do that too. I imagine his slick smile when he tells this story to a friend or someday lover in the future or someday son of his own. I imagine his pride when I gift him the same machete someday. These words I know I own keep you here, keep all of you here. Allow your grandson to feel close. Allow my conversations with the moon, even though there are only pictures of your faces that remain. I guess this is why I share the words I know I own, broadcasting seeds of my memories, my fears, my hopes, wishing for cross-pollination, waiting for my stories to intersect with your story, a collective exhale, a celebration of knowing, this is what I feel passionate about stories and bacon. I'm really passionate about bacon.
0: My name is John Carr, and the piece I'm about to read is called Brothers. Um, this was originally read at Write Club Atlanta and uh, I was going up against my brother. So I decided to read a, uh, a little something that uh, had to do with him. So this is entitled, Brothers. I had a weird childhood. I grew up a black conservative Republican in Los Angeles. I was homeschooled by traveling Christian clowns and I'm allergic to pancakes. As a result, I have a lot of odd experiences. And I had some strange things happen to me. So, when someone says brother, it can mean all kinds of things. Sometimes it's a word my dad says when he gets around his friends and is suddenly verbally teleported to 1975. Phrases like, kid dynamite, are thrown around with such an amused cultural relevance that you would have thought BuzzFeed just announced Hulu was rebooting Good Times. Those are the moments I hear the word brother, not brother. Brother, what's happening, my brother? Slap me some five on the black hand side, my brother. It's like sitting on the set of the fifteenth installment of Shaft, Shaft Part Fifteen, Black at It Again. In those moments, brother is an ancient term that I find in history books. However, Brother John is a completely different term. Every once in a while, while walking around a little Five Points, I will hear someone yell, "Hey, Brother John!" When I hear that phrase, I snap into action. The first thing I do is fix my posture, and then I instantly replace all my fucks and shits with freaking and crap. At that point, it's just a matter of doing my best to act sober. The person usually runs up to me and is very excited to see Brother John. See, Brother John is very different than John Carr. Brother John was the children's director for what Forbes magazine called the second largest church in America. Brother John oversaw 1,500 kids weekly and 300 volunteers in an effort to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to the world and College Park. John Carr, on the other hand, plans to drunkenly have premarital sex with his girlfriend after the show. Brother John was the title I wore when I worked at the church. It's what we called each other. The purpose was to constantly remind each other that we were brothers. As long as we said the right things, acted the correct way in public, and didn't let each other know too much about what we did behind closed doors, then we were family. Sometimes I wonder what would happen if I actually treated these people like they were my actual brother. I imagine they would walk up to me and say hi. They would tell me some story about this one time at church camp. I'd laugh and pretend like I actually remembered. Then I'd punch them in the dick. A lot of my interaction with my brother revolves around someone giving or someone else receiving a punch in the dick. It's kind of our way of saying I love you. Explaining my relationship with my brother is kind of hard. The way I usually do it is to tell this story. One day, my brother began to count down on Facebook. Every hour he would post his status, four hours until I punched my brother in the kidneys. Then the next hour he'd post three hours until I punched my brother in the kidneys. Obviously, I was blocked from these posts, and apparently I have shitty friends because no one told me about it. Around this time, my brother called me because he needed help at the studio. Being the loving, caring brother that I am, I went. When I got there, I opened the studio door to an empty room. I called for Raymond, and without warning, he jumps from behind a corner and throws a large empty box at me. I'm confused. Why would he go through all the trouble to surprise me with a light, empty box, when I can easily reach up and... Whack. He punches me in the kidney. As I'm doubled over in pain, he runs and grabs a camcorder he has mounted in the room. He then runs to another room, locks the door, and uploads the video to Facebook. As I lay on the ground contemplating a number of unique and artistically satisfying dick punches, I could not help but think, I love you too. Our relationship is strange. When I was about 10 years old, my brother and I were pretty major players in an organization called Awanas. For those of you that don't know what that is, the easiest way to describe it is that it is where parents send their kids when they think the Boy Scouts are a bunch of liberal tree-hugging hippies. One day we were playing on a tennis court, Raymond was running around in circles for no apparent reason, and I had grabbed the tennis net and was swinging it back and forth for even less of a reason. Then it happened. I imagine Raymond's plan was to duck under the tennis net in the small space between the pole and the net. At the same time, I thought it would be a good idea to mix things up and swing the net up and down as well as back and forth. The net caught my brother by the neck. It felt like slow motion as I watched his legs swing out from under him. The momentum of the net pulled his neck and head in one direction as his feet went in the other. None of this would have been so bad had I not been swinging the net up and down too. His body changed direction in midair without being able to stop it, the net threw his head to the ground. It was like watching a wrestling clothesline, but there was no mat, only cement. I heard his head crack first. It was that sickening thud that is distinctly a human head hitting cement. I couldn't move. I simply stood over my brother's lifeless body. A pool of blood formed around his head. He didn't seem to breathe. I knew I wasn't breathing. A 10-year-old John Carr stood in shock at the realization that he had killed his brother. For a moment in time, I lived on this planet without a brother. I do remember my first thought. It wasn't guilt that I had done this or anger that something like this could happen. It was simply the thought, I am alone. When I'm in Little Five Points and someone yells, Hey, Brother John, there's only one other person that they will turn to and say, Hey, Brother Raymond. I laugh about having three days off of work and the fact that it is only possible for me to sit still for about three hours. There is only one other guy who feels the same way and somewhere secretly worries that this pace will kill him one day. There's only one other guy who gets why it's funny that his dad walks up to a guy and says, You look familiar. Are you famous or something? And the guy says, I guess so. My name is Nick Cannon. And my dad says, Oh, guess not. There's only one person in the world I can call my brother, and for that brief moment in time, I did not have him. It was the first time I was truly alone. Eventually, my brother came too. After a concussion diagnosis and multiple stitches to the head, he was back to his randomly running self. For me, however, I returned to a world where there was at least one other human being that truly understood what it means to be raised by traveling Christian clowns. There are so many shows with pieces just like the ones you've heard being produced all over Atlanta. Take some time, go see a show, and experience one of these pieces live.